This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Would you take your Bibles now and go to the book of Acts? Again, we're in chapter 7. This is where we left off last time. As you're turning there, let me remind you that the Lord told us to love our neighbors as ourselves. There's an application there for those who are unborn and their lives are threatened. We need to do all we can to protect them. Praying, again, being a gospel witness uh, to them, uh, seeking to influence legislation. But if we love our neighbors, uh, again, (laughs) you may live next door to someone, Uh, that just needs the encouragement about the life that God has uh, placed in that womb and the new life God can give them in their hearts. Love your neighbor as yourself. But of course, if you know Christ as Savior, to love your neighbor as yourself, you have the treasure of Jesus Christ. You know the deliverance of salvation through him. If you really love your neighbor, you're over there trying to tell them about your Lord so he can deliver them too. And as we look at the book of Acts and what God was doing in the early church, the early church took this very seriously. Ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. But where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 7, they had gotten the Jerusalem part down, but they hadn't gotten to those other areas. And so the Lord is going to use the very events in Acts 7 to get them out of town, all right, to get them to those other areas that also needed the gospel. And so in Acts 7, uh, we have already seen that Peter, or I'm sorry, Stephen, uh, ends up preaching in a synagogue, a synagogue of the Libertines, where these are freed Jews that had won their freedom and are now back in this area. They have a synagogue. They could relate to each other. A lot of them were, uh, or most of them were uh, Hellenistic, they had accepted Greek culture, had been saved out of that. And so Stephen goes to that, or or they need to be saved. Stephen goes to that synagogue and he begins to preach there. They get upset. Someone turns Stephen in to the Jewish uh, leaders. And they come and bring Stephen, they arrest him and bring him uh, in front of the Jewish council. And then Stephen begins to preach a message. I confessed to you last week that I've read through this uh, message a number of times, and it it seemed a little disjointed, uh, but it shouldn't because it was very purposeful. Though Stephen did not have time to prepare this sermon, he's yielded to the Holy Spirit, and as the Lord promised, Stephen opens his mouth, he's spirit-controlled, opens his mouth, and God gives him this powerful message. What an encouragement for you and I. Many times we don't witness because we're afraid we're going to say something 
that isn't going to help. Well, be spirit controlled and just let God put those words there and see what happens. All right? And so Stephen preaches this message. And last time, uh, we started to look specifically at what he was saying in the message. For sake of time, I'm going to uh, fast forward to where we left off uh, in last week's message. This is really part two. The title of the message is Preaching That Penetrates the Heart. Preaching That Penetrates the Heart. Uh, We see a very violent end to Stephen's message here. But that is because the preaching penetrated the heart. So as Stephen stands up and he begins to preach, he first of all tells these Jewish leaders the Jewish story. Verse 2, he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken or listen. And he begins to recount their story. But then as he goes through that, he shows them that the Jewish story is one of rebellion. One of rebellion. And he begins to say in verse 9, And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. And even though Joseph had had some dreams, he shares these dreams with his brothers, with his father. Clearly, God is speaking. Jacob took these things to heart. The brothers, they they don't want to even think about uh, this this younger brother uh, being uh, someone that they would eventually bow down to. And what they were really doing is rebelling against God's plan revealed through Joseph. Uh, If you're reading through your Bible this year, you just read this account as we came to the end of the book of Genesis. And it's just amazing to me. Uh, They're bowing down to Joseph and they don't even know it yet. And then they do uh, find that out, that he is, though they sold him into slavery, they intended it for evil. God meant it for what? He meant it for good. And then, of course, uh, they go back, they get Jacob, they bring him to Egypt. And I noted And Jacob bows down in front of his son too. Everything that God had revealed early on, this was going to be his plan, the plan that they rebelled against, God fulfilled it. So he is reminding these Jewish leaders that going all the way back to the patriarchs, namely Jacob's sons, there was rebellion. And then when they end up in Egypt, again, Stephen shows them that there was rebellion against God's man, Moses. Uh, That begins, we saw in verse 29, uh, where then Moses fled at their saying, was a stranger in the land of Midian. You remember what happened there? Uh, Israel knew they're in Egypt, They know that the man who is, uh, this man Moses, who is in Pharaoh's court, he's one of them. They no doubt know the miracle about how Pharaoh's daughter had rescued Moses out out of the river. So clearly God is at work. But then when Moses uh, tries to 
separate two Jewish men who are, are brawling. They uh, ask, are you going to uh, destroy us like you destroyed the Egyptian taskmaster? Uh, and Moses knew that he uh, had been seen. But the attitude of those men and the very language here in Acts 7 uh, is that who made you a ruler over us? Who put you in charge? Now, these guys are being beaten by Egyptian masters. These Israelites are slaves, but they don't want Moses. They don't want to even look at what was God's plan. So there's rebellion against God's man, Moses. Again, you can go back and look at these verses specifically, but we get to verse 42 and you learn again that there was rebellion against God's prophets. Verse 42, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, I mentioned that he is referring to Jeremiah 19, 13, Amos 5, 25 to 26, where you see these words then, Stephen quotes them, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech, that speaks of when they got into the promised land, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. And all during this time in their rebellion, God is sending prophets to warn them and to warn them, but they won't listen. And that brought us then to the final area in this message where Stephen exposes the rebellion of Israel. And you'll see it in verse 44, rebellion against God's very presence. Rebellion against God's presence. Verse 44, our fathers had a tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. As he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus, Joshua, into the possession of the Gentiles, right, Canaan, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the, house, for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. So there you have the transition from the tabernacle now to the temple. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, again, that's Nathan to David, verse 49, Heaven is thy throne, earth is, thy, is my footstool. Uh, what house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Imagine living in a place where you know God is physically, now he's a spirit, but physically presence. I mean, that is the very presence there in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant. How do we know he's present there? Well, in the wilderness wanderings, uh, there was a pillar of fire by, uh, or a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When God moved, Israel moved. And God specifically instructed, here, here are the guidelines for going into that area, the Holy of Holies. And if they violated that guideline, the priest was dead. 
Anybody who went in there themselves, well, I, I think I'll go in. No, they would die. God gave, in, gave specific instruction. Even in the days of David, when they're moving the ark uh, in the wrong way and a man reaches out just to steady it on this ox cart, God strikes him down. The Philistines had captured that ark. What happened to the Philistines? Right? That is the presence of God. And then when Solomon, remember when he built the temple and they dedicate it, what happens? The celebration and the worship has to stop. Why? Because God's glory fills that place. They can't even see each other. God's very presence. Did that make a difference? Not if you study Israel's history, it didn't. It didn't make a difference. Why? Because of their rebellion. And so, and I mentioned last week, buckle your seatbelts. This is what Stephen is preaching to them. And he's building up to this point, and here's the point. You are like your fathers. Now, how could he say that? <laughs> well, they had just put to death their Messiah. And all that history pointed to who? Jesus. It pointed to Jesus. And so he's saying, you are rebels against God just like your fathers. Look at verse 51. And you can be thankful your preacher doesn't give an invitation like this. Ye stiff-necked. What's he saying? You are rebels and uncircumcised in heart and ears. This is a reference back to verse 8. Last week I said, don't forget that reference to circumcision in verse 8. What Stephen is saying is, you may still practice circumcision, but you have no heart for God and what his covenants represent. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Now, church family, who is that a reference to? Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. See where, how he's building this up? Uh, the Messiah, as Isaiah spoke of. By the way, these guys knew the history. What had happened to Isaiah? The Jews killed him. History tells us that the king of Israel ran him through with a sword. Which prophecy so specifically declares that by his stripes we would be healed? Isaiah. Of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers, speaking of Christ. Verse 53, who? You and your fathers have received the law by the disposition or the direction of angels and have not kept it. Now let's pause here because this needs some explanation. Some Bible teachers would say, well, he's just referring to messengers, the, the prophets, these that were sent before. But no, he is actually referring to angels. Let's take a close, close look. 
What is Stephen talking about? Well, he's referencing something that these Jewish leaders knew, but I would say that a lot of Christians don't. And so we're going to be reminded of this truth. It's a truth that even Stephen knew, and that's why he puts it here in his message. Stephen was a student of God's word. What's the point? God was accompanied by angels at Sinai when he gave Israel his law. Did you know that? He, angels were there too? Angels were there too. Now how do we know? Look at Deuteronomy 33 two. I'll have it up on the screen for you. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran and he came with ten thousands of his saints. Do you know what that Hebrew word is? It's holy ones. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, before Christ, by the way, do you know how they translate this? Angels. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. I was just reading this week in my devotions about what happened at Mount Sinai and the thundering, the lightning, and the children of Israel, they were afraid to go near. Do you know who else was up in that mountain besides the Lord? A host of angels. David spoke of this as well. It's interesting, the Lord gives us two witnesses. Psalm 68, 17 says, The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in where? Sinai. In the holy place. Now, what were the angels doing in Sinai? What were they doing there, Mount Sinai, when the Lord was giving the law? Well, Paul answers this question. Do you know Paul understood this? Galatians 3 and verse 19. Wherefore, then, why serve the law? Why are you serving the law, hoping that that will get you to heaven, is what Paul is saying. It was added because of transgressions. God gave the law to hold back sin. But also he gave the law to reveal sin so that people would understand, I need a deliverer. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, it's a reference to Christ, and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. So this should not surprise us that they were there. Do you remember when Elisha was in the city of Samaria and it was surrounded by the armies of Syria. And the Lord prayed. His servant was all upset. They were surrounded by an army outside the city walls. And the Lord said, or, or, or Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And when God opened his eyes, what did he see? On the mountains around that city, there were chariots of God, angels. That, that was God's protection. So angels bore witness to the law given and have been the instruments of its defense as directed by God. 
Think about how many references to angels there are in the Old Testament as they ministered to Israel because Israel as a nation were the custodians of God's law. That's the point. So Stephen was saying that these Jewish leaders had violated the law given by God and overseen by angels. And when they get upset with, upset with Stephen, it's not because he spoke incorrectly here. They know it's true. They're getting upset because he is exposing their rebellion and that they're just like their fathers. The very law that these leaders were supposed to be upholding, they were once again breaking, just as they had done in falsely accusing our Lord. Now, this is what pushed them over the edge. Watch what happens. All right, are you all with me? This is the tension in the text. He's exposed rebellion. You're guilty. What do they do? Verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. You, you may want to write in the margin of your Bible, conviction. Conviction. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. What does that mean? They start biting him? No. Okay. It means that they began grinding their teeth. That's what the original is saying. They started grinding their teeth in rage at him. You can imagine these Jewish leaders gritting their teeth. Get the point. Gritting their teeth. A scowl of rage on their face towards this preaching deacon. Now what Stephen doesn't know is that he has declared the gospel message for the last time. This is it. But Jesus knows this is the last time, and Jesus knowing that helps Stephen fulfill his mission. Let me just pause here because this is such an important application for you and me. Our job is to tell. As we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, well, what about the outcome of that? You leave that to God. You, le you leave that to God. Watch what he will do. And he is at work even if you don't know what he's doing on your behalf. But he is there. You just witness. And all things work together for what? To them that love God. To good. Does that mean it's going to be pain free and that there won't be anxious moments? He didn't say that it was going to be that way. But he said it will work out for your good. And according to his purpose. Now watch what happens next, verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, now the third reference to this spiritual trait. The Holy Spirit's repeating himself because he wants us to get this. If you're going to be an effective witness for Christ, open your mouth, declare truth, and if that truth is going to penetrate hearts, God will do his part, but you make sure that you're controlled by him. Stephen begins to see, I believe, what's happening, and he needs some support. They're really upset. 
And so he looked steadfastly up to heaven. And what happened, he did not expect, but as he looked up to heaven, watch, he got to look right into heaven. So he looked for help. I believe he was probably prompted by the Lord, look to me. And when he looked to heaven, he got to look into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now let me illustrate. Over and over in the scripture, we're told that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for us, right? In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that when he had finished his work here, he sat down up there. Why? The work's done. But as Stephen is faithful as these men ready to kill him, Stephen looks up to heaven for help. God lets him look into heaven, and this is what the Son of God does for that preacher. He stands. Wow. So Stephen gets lost with all that is happening uh, up here, and he, he kind of forgets what's happening here. That's amazing. And again, what a truth. As you and I witness for the Lord, if we'll just talk to the Lord, if we'll, if we'll seek his help in those times when things get difficult, you know what he'll do? He'll, he'll give you grace. He'll flood your heart with peace. He'll let you see things that will help you rise above what's happening here. Now, I didn't say that you're going to get to see into heaven. It's not what I said. But from heaven, you'll get the help you need to be a faithful witness. That's the point. <laughs> and Stephen, in fact, loses his thinking about what's happening here and what he sees. He comments on. What does he say? Well, he goes on. Let me get my place. He looked steadfastly into heaven, verse 55, and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And here's what Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Wow! He was just talking about what he's seeing. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Why? Because these self-righteous, spiritually blinded men think they just heard him blaspheme. No, what they had just heard was the truth. And they run upon him with one accord. In other words, it's united rage. Some of the commentators mention that this is the same language that's used in Matthew chapter 8 to speak of. Remember when Jesus cast the demons out of the man, the legion of demons, and they begged to get into something, and Jesus allowed them to go into a herd of swine. The same language here, they ran, they were crazy. And they ran with one accord down that hill right into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. 
It's kind of the same thing here. These men are out of their minds at this point. Verse 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Now this was the third murder committed in Jerusalem sanctioned by this Sanhedrin. What were the other murders? Well, Herod had killed John the Baptist illegally. Have you ever thought about the fact that the Sanhedrin never spoke up and said that was wrong? Quiet silence. They said nothing. They had also murdered Jesus, the Messiah, who the Roman authorities had admitted was innocent. Now Stephen will die because of their twisted rage, not because he had broken the law, but because the word of God had penetrated their rebellious hearts. Now the gospel will not always be resisted the way we think it will. It will be resisted. Sometimes we'll see folks come to Christ. Sometimes they'll try to get us out of the workplace. They'll shun us in our family or whatever. But God wants us to see, I believe, the takeaway from this text is that when a spirit-controlled servant, a deacon, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, a nursery worker, whatever, whatever you're doing to serve the Lord here, you have, listen, a greater responsibility to be a missionary and a witness for Christ. What we do here is primarily a team meeting and, and, and we're, we're helping just care for little ones and, and, and assisting with our worship to the Lord. That's why we gather, but, but it's like a huddle to also prepare us for what's coming this week. The preaching this morning is not so you can do God a favor. Okay, I'm warming a spot on a pew. No, this is to prepare you brothers and sisters in Christ to go out and be spirit-controlled witnesses. So what happens when there is a spirit-controlled servant of God who then opens his or her mouth because they know the word of God and they speak correctly the truth, the gospel? What happens? Well, let me just share this and we're done. First of all, hearts are penetrated. The empowered word causes a person to discern the true condition of his or her heart. Why did they react? Because what Stephen had said, God showed them that is the true condition of their heart. They're rebels. It was true. And the resulting conviction... When we witness, or as Stephen witnessed, will either bring rebellion, that's what happened with most of the religious establishment, or it will bring repentance. And later, Saul of Tarsus repents. Rebellion or repentance? You can't determine what's going to happen in their heart, but you can be used of God so that his word is empowered to penetrate their hearts. So hearts are penetrated. Next, saints are promoted. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen. 
And while they're doing this to Stephen, he is calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, saying, Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I hope you'll see the similarities between how Stephen died and how our Savior died. What are those similarities? Well, Jesus, spirit-controlled on the cross, forgave. What is Stephen saying? He's not angry. He's not bitter. He's not hateful. Lord, forgive him. Forgive him. And from the text, it appears that, again, these men are not in control of Stephen's death. The Lord is. He makes a statement, just like Jesus did, and he falls asleep. You see those similarities? Who's in control here, the mob or the Lord? The Lord's in control. If you were ever called on to give your life for your witness for Christ, who's in control of those final moments? The Lord. The Lord. Saints are promoted. Stephen's last day of ministry here ended with a meeting with Jesus up there. What he got to look into wouldn't be, wouldn't be long and he'd be right there. And he received a martyr's crown. Revelation 2.10 talks about the crown of life for those who are martyred for our Lord. Note that, the, that in his death he received the very same grace that Jesus was given on his cross to endure and to forgive. But notice also that the gospel declaration was proliferated. What do I mean? Up to this point, the witnesses are only in Jerusalem. After this happens, they're going to go to all those places that the Lord told them to go. Samaria and the uttermost part. And what's amazing about this text, who is going to lead the charge to those other places. The same guy who stood there holding the coats, watching all the stuff that belonged to the guys that were stoning Stephen. He's going to be the one that's used to the Lord to get the missionaries out. How's he going to do it? First of all, with persecution. Persecution. He's going to wreak havoc in the church. Come back and we'll look at the next chapter together. He's going to wreak havoc in the church. They're going to spread out. They're going to leave Jerusalem. Who's behind that? Saul of Tarsus. And then when he's going to find those who have spread out, God's going to drop him. Saul, why are you persecuting me? White flag up the pole. What do you want me to do, Lord? And the Lord tells him, you're going to be a witness to the Gentiles. So again, who's in control? The Lord is. What happens when we are spirit-controlled witnesses? The word of God is not held back. Now, we've got to be right kinds of messengers that God can work through as a channel so that his word can go forth powerfully. Now, what did we just witness? We just witnessed preaching that penetrates the heart. 
God wants to do two things through us that he did through Stephen. God wants to make us this kind of a proclaimer. Christian, is there any area of your life where you are saying no to the Lord? I loved Pastor McCain's message last Sunday night. What's in your hand? Can God have that? Say, well, I'm, I'm just not ready. Then you're not ready to be used of God to be a witness. But you need to take a good hard look at what is in your hand and say, is it really that important that I can't give it to the Lord? And by the way, it's not. It's not. Give it to him. And let him have his way to use you in the wonderful way that he desires. What else? This Stephen's life teaches. God wants to empower his message through you and me in order to penetrate hearts. God's word is meant to cut to the heart, to draw listeners to a decision. You know his word. You have the hope that they need. Don't hold back. And then let me just say this to our friends here who may be listening on the live stream or be right here in the auditorium. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you know the message and you don't yield yourself to the Lord, you're a rebel. Say, well, that wasn't nice. Well, I'm like Stephen. Sometimes... Truth has to be said, right? Say, well, I'm not picking up stones. Okay, people respond differently, but you can still be a rebel if you haven't said yes to Jesus. And your rebellion saying no to Jesus, resisting will send you to hell just like these religious leaders. How shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation? You can't. The point is you can't. And so, friend, let me, let me back up. I'm not calling names this morning because there was a time in my life I was a rebel too. And the Holy Spirit cut into this heart and said, you need to repent of your rotten sin and then believe on Jesus Christ. And I admitted to God I was a sinner. I asked Jesus to be my Savior. He kept his promise, and today I am on my way to heaven, not because I'm better than you, but I said yes to Jesus. If you'll say yes to Jesus, he'll wash you clean and he will give you eternal life that nobody can ever take away. But the answer is Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 488 3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.